Welcome to Improbable Developments. My name is Kevin Fryer. Each month I will interview scientists, investigators, and patients who are actively working in medical research and development. Our goal is to help patients and those who care about them to get to know the kinds of people working on their behalf. Welcome to the first episode of Improbable Developments. Have you ever been to a family gathering or class reunion and found yourself in a conversation with someone you haven't seen for years? You sit around late into the evening telling stories and laughing over the times you spent together. You probably share stories about what you've been doing while apart for all this time. These stories help you reconnect and get to know each other. Or maybe you've had the opportunity to listen to your parents or grandparents talk about their lives. They tell stories that give you new perspective and appreciation for what they've accomplished. You understand them better and probably feel closer to them. You see how their experiences have shaped you, so you learn a bit about yourself, too. The same thing happens when people who have dedicated their lives to chasing new treatments and cures get together to tell their stories. They open up and start to talk about how it felt to stumble upon a new journal article that sparked an idea, to get the first positive experimental results in a program, or to find out why it was time to go back to the drawing board. They express regret at mistakes that they may have made or frustrations about how hard it is to get through clinical trials. They reveal who they really are and what makes them tick. We all have romantic ideas about scientists working late into the evening or doctors dropping everything to answer a phone call about a patient. You can almost envision the moment when one of those researchers finally solves an intellectual puzzle and leaps into action. Their eyes go from an empty stare to an alert and laser-like focus. They sit a bit taller and start to read frantically. I'm sure you've seen these movies too. But is it real? Is that how it really happens? That's what we intend to explore each month on Improbable Developments. As a veteran of over 30 years of R&D at Pfizer, I have had the opportunity to hear these stories and even be part of quite a few. As a self-diagnosed pharma nerd, I am fascinated by the human drama that unfolds when you put dozens or even hundreds of talented, educated, and passionate people together to achieve a vision. I hope that you will be too. To get us started, I thought I'd start with one of my own stories. Surprisingly, I'm going to start in Anchorage, Alaska, about 4,500 miles from the Pfizer R&D headquarters in Groton, Connecticut, that I worked at. I was on a mission trip with the youth from our church, and we were serving people in a food bank. Our job was to welcome them into the waiting room, get them some coffee or tea and maybe a cupcake or something to nibble on, and then to talk to them and be with them, and eventually pray with them. One morning, this guy came in, and he was dark, and he was scary, totally dressed in black, black sunglasses, 
piercings coming out around his mouth and out of his chin and his eyebrows. He was scary. As he walked in, it was as if everybody just parted and gave him all the room he wanted. And I took a chance. I went over and talked to him, said hello, asked him a little bit about himself, and got to know him. And you know what? He was a marshmallow. He actually was dressed all dark and looked all dark as a protection because he was someone who was hurting pretty badly. As I talked to him, I learned that he had multiple mental health issues, depression, anxiety, addiction, and schizophrenia, to name a few. And when it came time to ask him if I could pray for him and about what he would like me to pray for, he just wanted to see his kids again. It had been a few years since he had seen them. And he wanted to have his new medicine keep working well. I asked him what he was taking, and he said, Geodon, which I know is also known as Zeprasidone. I looked at him and could feel the tears welling up in my eyes. I said, Dirk, I worked for years on Geodon. I was part of the team that brought it to you. Moments like these where my work life and my faith life cross make all the work worth it. You see, Geodon was a long time coming. Geodon was one of the new atypical antipsychotics that were emerging from pharmaceutical companies' pipelines around the world. Janssen Pharmaceuticals were in the lead with Risperdal, which is also known as Risperidone. While there was little chance of Geodon getting to approval first, we thought we were in a close second. See, Lily was also working on Zaprexa, which is known as Olanzapine. The goal of these programs was to find an agent that quieted the psychotic episode without the Parkinson-like side effects that came with the antipsychotics used at the time. Unfortunately, these new agents came with their own side effect. Rapid weight gain. Here is where we thought we might have an advantage over our competitors. Zeprasidone did not seem to cause weight gain. This was the mid-1990s. At the time, the FDA was dealing with a number of unrelated drugs that seemed to affect the rhythm of the heart. Most notably, the very effective antihistamine Seldane had been removed from the market because when taken with other medications, the blood concentrations of Seldane spiked and the rhythm of the heart was disrupted. So much so that people were dying from a severe condition called torsade de Pons. This safety concern spread throughout the agency as a high-risk factor. Development programs had to add additional studies to look at drug-drug interactions and specifically changes in the recording of the heart, the electrocardiogram, or ECG. As Geodon was nearing approval, there was a signal that the time between heartbeats, the QT interval, was slightly elongated 
by Giadon. We had been working on this new drug for well over a decade. And now, at the last minute, problems elsewhere in the world of drug development had put the viability of this medicine in question. The company looked at options and was committed to bringing this new and effective treatment to patients. A huge multi-arm phase 3 study was launched to examine the actual risk that Giadon might carry. After over five years' delay, the results of the study showed that the elongation of QT interval was minimal and not associated with increased mortality. The FDA finally approved Giadon in February of 2001, approximately seven years later than Pfizer had hoped. Obviously, we did not come in second in the race to approval. In fact, we were years behind. Some would say that we should have just given up. Too much money and staff time was used to push this now Me Too drug through. My friend Dirk and I beg to differ. In the coming months, we are going to interview guests from many perspectives about the drug projects they have worked on and in some cases are still working on. We will talk to research scientists, clinicians, regulatory people, a patient who found his own treatment, and another patient who's also an advocate who works with biopharma companies to find a treatment for his disorder, and many more. I hope that you can join us next time on Improbable Developments. Improbable Developments is brought to you by Salem Oaks Consulting, empowering patients to shape the future of medicine. Special thanks to sound designer Jake Tompkins who produced this episode.